Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I started to just get antsy because I knew I wasn't happy where I was. Friends would say, I know your problem. You need to act again. I'd be like, shut up, you know. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Lay low for a while. You're probably wanted for murder. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I'm really not comfortable talking about S-E-X. And need to talk about more. It's a question of money. Money's a good reason. I'm Anna Sale. Fans of the TV series Veep know Anna Klumsky as Amy, the neurotic top aide to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character, Selena Meyer. Amy! Yeah. Uh, so what? Nothing. Well, I've been on the phone all night with these clueless constitutional law experts of ours. I don't know what's getting their dicks harder, an electoral college tie or talking to a girl. But Anna's current success, at age 35, came after years of not working as an actor. She became instantly famous at 10 years old when she co-starred in the movie My Girl, opposite Macaulay Culkin. Maiden, her little boyfriend. He is not my boyfriend. I bet you kissed him on the lips. Do you think I kissed that ugly old thing? You, you were not nervous as a kid. It was, it was, uh, you know, can you do this? Yeah, I can. So it just, it just worked, and it was something that I was good at, and that uh, you know pleased the adults, which is all you're trying to do as a kid. As a girl, do you remember wanting to be in movies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't choose it. My, you know, th- this was all kind of more of a financial situation that ballooned because it was first like modeling for the catalogs, and then, um, and my mom figured that that was a good way to put away money for college because she was a single mom, and you know, West Side Chicago. How are we going to do? You know, an opportunity is an opportunity. After my girl, Anna kept auditioning for parts, and she got a few roles here and there. But when she was a teenager, her career started to fizzle out. It just makes you feel like shit. <laughs> as an adolescent, most most rejections as an adolescent for anybody in any walk of life, um, you know, those make you feel like shit over and over. When things got hard in your career in your later teen years, did it become difficult with your mom? Yeah, you know, but, you know, I look back and I go, she did absolutely, you know, maybe aside from like a few things, um, everything right. You know, we never left Chicago. Like we stayed in school. Like we always knew that everything I earned was for college. However, unfortunately, what ends up happening, even if you're trying to do everything right, you know, when the child is is earning and it does start to pay for the mortgage, um, the dynamics just change. And, you know, so I think she – who could see that coming, really? Um, but, but, yeah, it's – I think no one can kind of, like, go through a professional childhood unscathed. Did you feel different from your peers when you're in high school because you'd been in movies? I mean, I I don't think I would have had they not thought I was different. But um, it was just a lot, you know, people were like, why aren't you showing up to school in a limo? 
you know, and you're like, because I live two blocks from you and you know how much those those houses cost. Like we have like, stop it. You know, like I'm not, you know, rich or I'm not this or I'm not that. There was it's it was a lot of. Yeah, just like, you know, not just trying to get people to know you, but all, but but first breaking down what people thought they they knew about you. Being the kid in a movie then becomes like the label and people change and, you know, some people want to be your friends who never wanted to before. Family members are weird. So I, I, I became very private and, and not uh, not terribly trusting of people. And, you know, that's something I kind of struggle with to this day. Do you remember the moment when you decided you wanted to stop acting? Yeah. Um, I went into my agents to do yet another taped audition for something that I knew I wouldn't get because it was in a slew. It was in a huge pattern of of jobs I wasn't getting, like years. And um, so I did it and I got in my little – I had a neon, uh, a Dodge neon. Mm -hmm. And I threw the script on the passenger's side um, on the seat. And I I don't know. It's one of those detached moments where it's like – I just looked at the script and I went, I don't have to do this anymore. That was during Anna's freshman year of college. She decided to buckle down and focus on her studies at the University of Chicago. Famous for a slogan, where fun comes to die. She paid for college with money she'd earned as a kid. And at the end of her sophomore year, she started dating a freshman named Sean So. Did he know who you were? Yeah, every everybody, you know, knew that I was the girl for my girl and stuff. But the nice thing is he just – he didn't care. He didn't really grow up um, watching movies very voraciously. And uh, by then, I could tell who cared and who didn't. You know what I mean? So, like, you kind of feel safe with the people who don't care. Anna and Sean were together throughout college. And when she graduated a year before he did, she decided to move to New York. What was What was the plan? What was your vision? <laughs> Oh, my plan was to um, to write uh, food and travel articles so that my job could pay for the thing I liked the most, which was travel and eat. <laughs> Smart. Um, yeah, but I had no clips, you know, leaving college. Like, I never wrote for the paper. Um, you know, I never – like, that's not something I did during college. So it's like, oh, okay, this is what you're going to do. But – um, I actually sold a couple like – this is when like internet articles were just beginning to pay and, you know, so I think I sold like two different articles for like 35 bucks, one on Ovaltine. <laughs> you wrote an article about Ovaltine? Yes. <laughs> was it in praise or in critique? Oh, praise only. I, uh, I, I love Ovaltine. Anna eventually got a job as an editorial assistant for HarperCollins. The prospect of acting again haunted her. You know, when I first got to New York, I saw Mercedes Rule in The Goat. And I had this, like, completely impulsive act when I stood up for the ovation at the end where I went, I have to do that. I said it out loud. My mother hurt me. My mother, my mother of all people, like the person who wants me to be in showbiz more than I, you know, like I would never say this (laughs) rationally, you know. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, she heard me. Coming up, how Anna decided to try acting again, just after her boyfriend Sean enlisted in the military. And then I and and I said to him, I was like, "What would you say if I started auditioning again and tried to act again?" And he's like, "I cannot be 
in training for the army right now and tell you not to take a risk with your life. <laughs> Hi guys, this is Chester Jesus Soria. I'm a producer with Death, Sex, and Money. Anna's still out on maternity leave with baby June. You can read more about their adventures out west by subscribing to our newsletter at deathsexmoney.org newsletter. And one of our most recent newsletters also had updates from folks we interviewed last year in our episode called Siblinghood. If you haven't heard that episode, you can still listen to it at deathsexmoney.org. Shortly after that episode came out, we actually got a voice memo from a listener named Edel in Texas who wanted to share her own story. It's not about my siblings. It's actually about my relationship with my friends that I grew up with. This relationship with these girls was literally a, a life-altering friendship. Edel says she fell out of touch with those friends, enough so that she didn't invite them to her wedding, and they weren't really talking when she moved to a new country. When your sibling conversation talked about the breakup of family relationships, it reminded me of the breakup of my friendship relationships. It took me a long, long time to make my peace with that breakup. It really, really did. Her voice memo prompted us to look through our inbox for other stories about breakups. And last year, we got an email from a listener named Rachel. She wrote us about two weeks after her boyfriend moved out of their apartment. She described their time together as the best three years of her life. And she said, quote, It's scary to imagine not having that and having to meet someone new. Plus, where do you put all that love that you gave that person? Since she wrote us, Rachel's met somebody new, and she told us that she's very happy right now. Still, she says, hearing other people's stories about their breakups could have helped her. So that's what we're asking for today. We want to hear your stories about your breakups, romantic, friendship, family, or otherwise. If you want to share your story, just email us or record a voice memo on your smartphone and send that in to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. We'll be in touch before we use anything that you send us. On the next episode, our night with radio show Selected Shorts. Hear two of your favorite short stories about death, sex, and money, read by special guests like actress Kathleen Shelflot. Until the girl died, that was enough for me. To be married to a fantastic man who loved me and was prone once in a long while to a little lapse and a lot of Catholic guilt about it. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things. 
remains unmatched. And she does it in her signature hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. As Anna Klumski was navigating through her first few years in New York, her boyfriend Sean moved to Washington. It was 2003. The U.S. had just invaded Iraq, and he got a job at the Pentagon. Basically, what he was doing at the Pentagon was analyzing. He was an analyst. And so he's drawing all these conclusions about what's a threat, what's not a threat. And he's going, I'm making decisions about boots on the ground, and I've never been on the ground. So he just kind of felt uh, like he needed cred. So, yeah, he he enlisted in the Army Reserve. Um, What was that conversation like between you? (laughs) Um, Very, very akin to a lot of our major conversations um, to date, which is basically like, I will support you. You know, I can't not support your this decision and you know yet i'm scared and tell me how this is going to work what will this be like i mean i wasn't crazy about the notion of course um at first but i but again it's like how can you you know how can you tell a person that they shouldn't volunteer and be of service and and you know be proud of themselves how soon after he enlisted did you find out he was going to be deployed? I think like a year. There was, I remember the, I guess it was around the summer then of 2004 or five. I don't remember. The Olympics were on and I was visiting my father. um, And I had a phone conversation with Sean where he kind of casually mentioned deployment, just the possibility of it. And I like freaked out because I had gotten into this habit of not thinking it would occur. Yeah. So so, yeah, then I got really sad because he's like, you know, I joined the military. <laughs> he's like, you know, there's a war. Like, there will be a deployment someday. Um, so then I had to start beefing myself up for that. And, and yeah, right around, I, I want to say, the fall um, of that year, he – yeah, he got, he got called. It was like the call. And then I cried. I had a friend staying with me. She was there. She saw me cry. But, you know, you go with it. Around the same time, Anna was questioning the direction of her career from the sci-fi division at HarperCollins. I don't know what I don't know what it was about that week, but like there was a week where I was just crying a lot on my lunch break. She told Sean how stuck she was feeling. He was in Arizona doing advanced um, individual training, and so he's just beginning his military training. Yeah, and I told him about the day that this that this psychic followed me to work. Um, you have to tell me more about that. <laughs> so there's this psychic that was outside of HarperCollins that she, you know, she would just hand out her pamphlets. And I passed her. And then she's like, wait, I have a message for you. I'm like, yeah, you have a message for everybody. And uh, 
as she followed me, she left her little post, you know, taps me on the shoulder. And I'm like, yes. And she says, you're the girl for my girl. I'm like, no, you know, brainer. Like, thanks, psychic. <laughs> That's your big news. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Um, <laughs> and, and so then she's like, but then she says, you're not done. You still want to do this. So that touched a nerve. So then the phone call that night is to, you know, to, to my boyfriend then, Sean. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I need to go to therapy because I obviously am so desperate for answers. And he's like, well, what would a therapist ask you that you don't already have the answer to? Ooh. Go, uh, Sean. I know. <laughs> right? Every once in a while, he's got a little nugget. <laughs> and so then I – like, asked the question in my head, you know. Um, you know, that led to, like, a little deep dive of, okay, I'll call the agent tomorrow because I still had an agent holding on to my headshots. And uh, and my agent then, you know, she was like, well, great. Go train. Go get some classes. How long after the psychic did you quit your job? I think this was in the course of, like, a week. Really? Yeah. And this is, like, a job with benefits. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it was benefits and um I mean it was I mean small salary. I mean it was assistance salary, but how did you support yourself at that's that That's when you dip into the savings. This is money you earned as a kid? Yep. Yep, that I had still had even after college. Um it wasn't a lot, but um but it was enough to get me through that first year, you know, barely. <laughs> there were a couple of really freaky months there, but <laughs> I've had that such a strange experience. You're like, you're looking at the balance of the money that you earned when you were a child. Mm -hmm. And you're watching it go down. Yeah, yeah. How much money was it after college? Um, I don't, I don't want to say, I guess, because okay. then people are going to judge me. I understand. <laughs> it was less than 50K, okay? Okay, tens of thousands <laughs> tens of dollars. Tens of thousands of dollars yeah. in savings. Yeah. It was enough to get her through a year in New York and allow her to audition and focus on acting classes and not on the danger her boyfriend Sean was facing while he was deployed. He was in southern Afghanistan from 2004 to 2006. Was there anyone in your life who you could say, my boyfriend's in a war zone, this is what it feels like? To an extent, um, I'm really bad at asking for help from my friends. I'm really bad at it. Um, to this day, like, I can't think – I can probably count on my fingers how many times I've cried in front of a friend. Um, I would tell people, like, you know, this is hard or this happened and I think it's because I'm missing Sean or, you know. But but I definitely always tried to put a macho face on it for people. So And for myself probably too. How did communicating with your boyfriend – First when he was in Washington and he's in training and then he's at war. How did having that distance change the way you communicated in, in your relationship? You know, we really loved each other for young people, you know. And we didn't want to pretend that we didn't have emotions or fears um, or bad days or whatever. Um, however... At the same token, I never wanted him to worry about me um, because I felt like that would take his eye off the prize mm. and the prize being living. Um, 
so I think we spoke with more care with one. We treat each, we treat each other with with care, um, while still being very pragmatic people. I think that that's also how we can handle it. You know, um, so you were so, like trying to protect each other. Yeah, I think so. Through. I think so. I mean, we we reached a point where we where it was like a crossroads too, because we were young and we were like, well, is this going to be forever or is this not? Like we had to have that conversation, and um, and at that point, then it was like, no, I, you know, I it was like I really do want you to be in my life, and I really do want you to be, you know, and, and then it was like, okay, we made our bed. <laughs> no more wondering, no more, you know, is this the right thing to be doing uh, at our age? Like, no, this is this is happening, and we're together. And you're um, both in your mid twenties, yeah. At this point, I know. <laughs> we're both a little. We're both a little. Uh, I don't want to say mature for our age, but we are. I mean, both of us are kind of like that. I think that's something we both have in common. Um, you know, having grown up like with you know, in divorced households, and you know, um, kind of, kind of being somewhat self reliant and stuff like that. We we both kind of were like ready to settle before many of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> when Sean got back, how long did it take you to be used to each other? Hmm. I mean, I, it didn't, not too long. I mean, given the circumstances, we always, we kind of knew that there were like, there's this transition period where you're like, get out of my space. <laughs> I'm glad to see you, but come on. Um, but this is my stuff, you know. So we we knew not to pressure ourselves too much um, to to have some kind of you know to be completely like used to each other um, right away. And so I think I think removing that pressure helps. Deciding to get married, you said it was something that you both felt pretty clear on. But having both come from parents that had been divorced, was that something that you? had to work through together or separately? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, when he proposed, you know, I said yes. But then about a month later, I was like kind of freaking out about it. And I was like, you know, because because his proposal was very basic. It was it was, will you marry me? I mean, there was no like I, I, I tell friends now who like are getting ready to propose to their girlfriends. I'm like, imagine she asked you, why do you want to marry me in your head before you do the speech? <laughs> because it is a proposal. Like this is a there isn't, you know, it's not a gift necessarily. This is a hey, this is what I got to offer. This is what why I'm doing this. Make your case. Maybe a business plan. Um, <laughs> um so about a month later I was like, "Why do you want to marry me?" And uh and he explained and he explained, you know, from then on I was like, "Oh, I'm game. I'm in this." And you know, but then of course, yeah, you, you know, freak out. I still freak out. Like, you know, not having a template necessarily for success or for what you think success is, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said for this whole, well, we're making our own template. Like, well, we're going to do it our way, whatever our way is, and we'll figure that out. Anna and Sean have been married since 2008. They had a daughter, Penelope, in 2013, and they're expecting a second child this summer. They live in Brooklyn. Sean now runs a consulting firm. And when Veep is in production, Anna has to be in L.A. What was it like commuting from California back home when you've got a young child? It was tiring. 
Um, I missed her, but I, I mean, I missed her like crazy, but I mean, I miss her today. It's cra- I mean, it's wonderful, but your heart aches. You love them so much. Like it, you ache. Ugh. Anyway, um, I kept calling it the mama bird commute because I was like, all right, I got to go catch the worm and then I will come back. And I, but I got to catch the worm. Who's going to eat? Like, come on. Sean feels the same way when he goes to the office. It's like, okay, like I got to go and catch the worm. And we'll come back, and you will eat, and you will be happy, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it helps to, to I love put that. in that term. Yeah. <laughs> um, why have a second kid right now? Because um, the powers that be want it, you know? I, I learned, um, you know, you can't really plan. You can have an idea, but... Um, and I'll say that I had a miscarriage too. So like, you know, people don't talk about that enough, I'm but sorry. it's okay. I it's it's um it's a weird thing to go through, but um because it's like it, it's you know, um we had we had something where it just didn't grow. So it was just the idea that we had the loss of, which is really strange, but but you still go through it. Um and and like I said, I found out that it's a lot more people go through it. Um, that we talk about. And it's not even that we're hiding it. It's just that it's so effing uncomfortable to talk about because you just aren't happy about it, you know. Um, but I did – you do learn that this is like kind of not up to you. Like it's kind of is, but it's kind of not. There's other stuff at work. That's Anna Klumsky. You can see her in season five of Veep on HBO. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botin, Andrew Dunn, and Rick Kwan. Our interns are Carson Frame and Brandy Gonzalez. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And we have a link to Anna Klumsky's 2003 article about Ovaltine on our website at deathsexmoney.org. She may have left food writing behind. But Ovaltine is still part of her life. I gave it to my daughter for the first time the other day, and it actually made me, like, it made me, I don't know, it was one of the, it's almost like having your first Christmas with your toddler. I was, I was like, <laughs> and she liked it, so I'm like, oh, my daughter loves Ovaltine. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.